0: Yes, Lord, you are worthy of all praise and honour and glory, and we give you that today, now in this place. Your word is trustworthy, and we base our lives upon it, and as we hear it now, may your Holy Spirit open our hearts and our ears to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that can transform lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated as Corinne comes to give us God's word. So, 1 Corinthians 15 verses uh, 15, 1 and 2 and then 50 to 58. Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received on and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached you, otherwise you have believed in vain. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then saying that it is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory.
1: Thanks so much, Corinne, and wonderful to be with you again today as we uh, continue looking at God's Word and reflecting on the nature of work, but as we've been considering when we're talking about work and thinking about the Bible, we're not just talking about uh, employment, which you're paid for, but rather thinking more comprehensively about what it means to live in God's world. Uh, so very relevant for every single one of us. But let me pray as we uh, get into this, this final one in our short series. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you and your kindness speak to us. Uh, you're a God who uh, frames the whole of creation and this world and our lives and puts it in a context that helps us understand where we are now, where we're going, uh, your plans for us, your good purposes for us. And Father, we ask that today we'll have that strong sense of knowing with clarity what you've made us for and how we exist to live your glory and honour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'd just taken a funeral and I was catching up with uh, the family members afterwards. And I was in the hall and I noticed there was this um, guy over in the corner of the hall. He would have been late 20s, standing by himself. And I thought I'd go and introduce myself. Now, he already knew what I did for a living uh, because I'd just taken the funeral but uh, I did that normal social thing. I said, you know, what do you do during the week? He explained that he was a a research scientist, that he was currently doing a PhD thesis in an area of research related to um, treating cancer. And that was the focus of his time during the week. And I said to him, you must find that incredibly satisfying. And he gave me this sort of, you know, wry look And he said, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But he said, here's the thing. I'm working hard in my corner of the laboratory trying to work out how to preserve life and quality of life before people die. And there are scientists over in the, not literally, but over in the other corner of the laboratory who are saying to me that the world can only sustainably... Hold three billion people, and now we're over seven billion. And I'm thinking whether my efforts are actually counterproductive for what they're trying to do. You know, like, is there really any point in my work? And if you've got any uh, uh, insight into that sort of situation, then you 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 identify with what the Bible actually says when it comes to the limitations of work. And uh, you get the fact that work has a sort of a use by date. That's what the the writer in Ecclesiastes says when he poses his opening question. Ecclesiastes one, verses two and three. He says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, what do people gain from all their toil at which they toil under the sun? You get the picture. There are limitations to work. The Bible says work is significant in a whole range of ways in God's world. I mean, it provides for our needs. You know, it puts food on the table, that's useful. Uh, it's good to enjoy your work if you can possibly enjoy it. We've been considering that. Although I suspect if you talk to someone who works in a sweatshop in Bangladesh, the enjoyment of work is probably not top of their agenda. It's just, just a job, just to make a living, but it's good to enjoy it if you can. And uh, by your work you get to contribute towards what happens in a broader society as you try and care for people. You know, I was talking to someone just before the, the service started about uh, serving as an ambo and the importance of that work. You know, I was saying how thankful we are for the way in which people labour in that sort of activity. You know, there are good ways to serve the wider community through our work. We know we to work faithfully. The Bible says we should do that to honour God and win the respect of other people around us. But here's the thing. Work cannot provide us with any ultimate sense of our meaning or purpose in this world. And our work, it can't redress the problems that are created this side of the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis 3, when there's a rejection of God. Our world is a fractured world, a world that struggles and no matter how hard we work at it, we can't reverse the implications of that. We can can mitigate them, we just can't reverse them. In Ecclesiastes terms, our employment is meaningless in the long-term sense of it, uh, when it comes to answering those big questions about what life is all about. But here's the thing. When we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, suddenly we hear this statement that there is a work that isn't in vain. There's a work that isn't meaningless. Come with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. It'll come up on the screen. Yes, there it is. Okay. The Apostle Paul says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Same sort of concept ideas back in Ecclesiastes, except this time not in vain. So how does this work? We know our work in this world, our, you know, what we put our minds or our fingers to, our hands to. We know there's a vanity. That is, we can't take our assets with us when you die. Everyone talks about no you know, pockets in grave clothes. But It's the same. You don't take your work with you either. Or the fruit of your labor in this world it doesn't travel with you through to heaven. There's not going to be any garbage collectors in heaven or nurses or factory workers or bakers or doctors. no one gets sick, there's no insurance agents, there's no insurable interest. no need for them. you'd know, like, like we all get that that's the reality. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, it does seem to be saying that there is a work which is not in vain. There's a work which is going to last. So what is this labour in the Lord that's not in vain? What's this labour that actually does last? Now, can I say, the the wider argument of of 1 Corinthians 15, I think is enormously helpful at this point. It gives us a clue. So it's a chapter and you would have picked it up as we read even from verse 50. It's a chapter all about Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection. It's about our future beyond death and dwelling with God for all eternity. So in the context of that chapter, again, it just reinforces the idea that we're talking about a labour that will endure beyond the resurrection from the dead. What sort of labour is that? Again, context is so important. It's like any book you read, actually, if you've ever done any study at school or university or anywhere like that. Uh, you know that you've got to read uh, concepts in their context. You know, They're they always framed by a, a wider context. And it's the same here in 1 Corinthians as we think about this whole book. How's this work for the Lord framed in the context of this book? So I'm going to take you on a really quick sort of tour through some of the work ideas in 1 Corinthians, see if we can work out this work that's not in vain. So firstly, who are the, who are the workers that are being referred to. If I again, the verses will come up on the screen, but good to have them in front of you. In one Corinthians chapter three, verse nine, Paul the apostle says, "There uh, we are God's co-workers in God's service." At this point, he's referring to himself and Apollos in particular. In one Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse ten, again the chapter that we're looking at here, Paul says, "I, Paul, I worked." Harder than all of them. Paul describes himself as a worker. But the work he's doing at this point is the preaching and teaching of the gospel, of God's word. Straight after this chapter, chapter 16, verse 10. Again, he says, when Timothy comes to see you, uh, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you. For he's carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. So what's this work uh, that these workers are doing? Well, let me take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 13, and we can see the sort of work that we're talking about. Each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Now, the work here uh, that's being referred to is very specific. It's talking about the building up of the body of Christ, the church, uh, through both evangelism and that wider idea of discipleship, of growing Christians in the gospel. If we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, we get the same idea. Paul speaking to the Corinthians and he says, Are you, he says to this church, are you not a result of my work in the Lord? That is their existence as a people of God through the proclamation of the work that Paul did. Then in chapter 15, verse 10, Paul says, "I worked harder than all of them." And then in verse 11, he explains it, "So we preached, and so you believed." See here's the thing, What, what most of us in our jobs do in this world. It, it doesn't last. In the language of Ecclesiastes or or 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58, it's in vain. That is, it won't endure into the age to come. Uh, I mentioned before, I worked for a couple of years as a lawyer and I worked in the area, part of the work I did was in the area of estates, you know, wills, uh, estate work, probate, that sort of thing. When I get to heaven... Uh, God will not say to me, this, this will you drafted for this person back in 1982, it is just stellar, you know. I want you to take over the legal department in heaven. Right? This is not going to happen. Understand? There's, there's a limitation to that work that I did when I was serving as a lawyer. Now, I'm not trying to diminish that in any way. There was a place for it. Uh, it was important I treated people well as I was doing it. There was an integrity I had to have with my employers, faithfulness in my work. But nonetheless, do you understand a use-by date? No need for probate in heaven. You know, it's it's an area that just disappears. But there's a labour that's not in vain. That's what Paul is saying here. It's the work of telling the gospel to people so they can become Christians and grow as Christians. Now, understand really clearly, this point I'm not talking about the fact that I've got a job and you don't have a job. (laughs) That is, I get paid not to work. I get paid to actually preach the gospel and do evangelism. I'm not saying that's the only work at this point. What I'm saying is that the work of the Lord is something that all God's people are commissioned to do whether he get paid for it or not. Often the apostle didn't get paid for his work. But he still saw that as a primary task. And I take it that's the primary task of work that we have that will endure forever. Okay? Let me try and just pull that apart a little more. I want to talk about how our labouring for the Lord intersects with whatever work we do in this world, our jobs or careers or our day-to-day lives as uh, students or retirees or whatever else we happen to be doing, okay? I wanna just jump into that space for a bit as we try and apply it. The first thing I wanna do is remind us uh, what our main job is in this world. That is whether you earn an income, whether you're a student, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're retired, whether you're unemployed, What is your main job? Whatever it is, uh, God wants you to be serving Him in that labour, that work that endures forever. Let me give you an example. There's there's a guy I knew, Tom Bednall. Tom's with the Lord now. He's been there for you know, dwelling with the Lord for all eternity for a few years. Uh, but I remember talking to, to Tom when he was about 90 years of age. So he'd been retired at this point for about 25 years, I think. And asked him. I remember asking him in the yard before church, How, "Yeah, how's your week?" He said, "I oh, had a great week this week. This was my week where I go around and I collect everyone's subsidies for the newspaper." He lived in a retirement village. And that was the time where everyone used to read the newspaper that was paper, you know, as opposed to uh, online. And he would go around the village once, once a month and collect up everyone's subsidies for the newspaper that got delivered to their place. And I said, and Tom, that's, you know, like this big village you lived in. I said, it's a big job for a guy who's in his 90s. And I said, what do you do it? He said, oh, it's, it's wonderful. He said, I get to catch up with all these people in the retirement village and once a month I get to ask them questions about how they're going and talk to them about my trust in Jesus in any way that I possibly can. Isn't that lovely? And you understanding that he was labouring for the Lord? You know, he just had a clear understanding of what was important in this world. So say you're a, a stay-at-home parent. Uh, there was a young mum that was talking to me just uh, a little while ago about her seven-year-old daughter and this 7 year so Christian family. And this seven-year-old daughter asked her mum, mum, how can I know that I'm a Christian? And so uh, her mum patiently explained the gospel to her, you know, how she could know that she'd have confidence that she was uh, in a relationship with God through everything that Jesus had done if you put her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mum explained that to her. And this daughter then said to her mother, Mum, why haven't you told me this before? You know, this uh, important news, at which point uh, her mother, who had told her this information quite a long number of times, over a long period of time, uh, but worked out that the Spirit of God was stirring this seven-year-old's heart, uh, restrained herself from laughing, moved out of the room so she could laugh, before then returning. And when she returned, she asked her daughter, would you like me to uh, pray with you so that you can know that you have this relationship with God? Because she's explained that's what you should do, talk to God. And this uh, seven-year-old said, No need, Mum, I've already done it. And uh, off she went. Now, can I say uh, to any who who are stay-at-home parents, any who are grandparents who have this wonderful privilege of working with kids, do you understand what a vital work of the Lord it is ministering to these young ones in your trust and care? A work that actually endures for all eternity. Don't diminish it in any way. The other thing I want to do is just focus for a few moments on uh, particularly as we think about some different biblical ideas that I think sometimes we confuse. So I'm particularly wanting to talk about work, good work, works and the work of the Lord. Work, good works and the work of the Lord. And let me see if I can just illustrate it and then try and pull it apart a bit for us. Um, I want you to imagine that there is a brain surgeon who is top of their field doing wonderful work uh, to minister to people who are sick, uh, So, world-renowned medical specialist who also is a Christian. Brilliant at their job, but let's say this brain surgeon is notorious Uh, for their bad temper. They work in a really high, stressful job, but that often they spray the people around them, you know, the staff and other people that work alongside. So understand they are very good at their work, but their reputation as a believer causes people to think that they're a hypocrite. See? Uh, Very, very... How does God view this brilliant surgical work that they do. Well, God sees it for what it is, good technically at their job, godless in their behaviour and the way in which they treat people, and by that means hindering, actually, the work of the gospel going forth. Christians, I think, often get these biblical categories of work confused. What I'm going to do is put a table on the screen behind me, hopefully it'll come up in just a second, which just tries to give us a bit of distinction here. In this table, yep, great, uh, work is, uh, here it's toil, uh, like an Ecclesiastes, and it has a certain value that we've already looked at in this world. When the Bible starts to talk about good works, it's not talking so much about our toil but the sort of idea that comes up in places like Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. uh, where We're told that Christians are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now at this point, the good works that are being spoken of uh, are talking more about godliness, the way we treat people with respect and generosity and faithfulness, not, not dumping on people. And then today we've been talking about the work of the Lord, which is not so much about being godly, although you would think you'd be godly as you do this work, but not so much about that, but actually by helping people believe the gospel and grow in the gospel, that is evangelism and discipleship. And they're they're used quite differently as you go through the Bible at different points. Now, they can overlap. If we go to this next uh, diagram, you see the one which I've tried to show that your work might intersect with the good works you do and the work of the Lord that you want to do. And I think, again, this is the way the New Testament helps us think about them. If I go to a verse like, and we'll flip to this verse and then come back to the diagram, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12... Here the apostle is speaking to believers about how to commend the gospel to others and says this, live good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now at this point, the good deeds or good works that are being spoken of are, as you work through this letter, acts of generosity and grace and mercy that are shown to others. The good deeds and good lives are not the gospel. Uh, We ought not get that wrong, but often they build a bridge with people and cause them to ask what makes you tick and give the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And we all know that experience. So we'll go back to the diagram, and let me tell you of an example I heard about of a school teacher uh, who found herself in this situation. So we'll go back to the diagram, if that's okay. The three circles. The um, the school teacher was finding uh, herself in the in the uh, staff room, and finally, the conversation was getting away from her and going into spaces that were really unhelpful for everyone there. So she started to think about how as a Christian she could have impact in that staff room space. And she decided one way she'd, she'd go about it is by trying to read the paper on the way into work and think through issues she could <coughs> raise in the staff room, popular issues, and then try and talk about them from a perspective of her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what she did. And uh, she would each, um, each day try and have a topic of conversation she could turn to where she could commend the gospel, do the work of the Lord, as she got into that staff room setting. And one day, she wasn't in the staff room before school. She was on uh, uh, duty, yard duty. So how many here are teachers? Yep, quite a few. Is, is yard duty the most popular thing that teachers get to do in their lives? No, no teacher's ever looked for to it. So she's on yard duty, and uh, that, was, that was what she was doing before school. And suddenly there was this other teacher who came out and joined her in the yard, and she said to this teacher, what are you doing out here? You're not on duty. You don't need to be here. And this other teacher said, not a Christian, said, when you're not, a, when you're not in the staff room, it's not worth being there. Isn't that... It a lovely commendation of her influence in that space. The good works, which we're called to do, they do reflect the character of God and they may give you the chance to share the gospel and do the work of the Lord. Let me press on. One of the questions I think I often get asked by people who are in paid employment is should you do the work of the Lord at work. Should you do the work of the Lord at work? Should you evangelize in your boss's time? After all, it's not really what your boss is paying you to do. Now, can I say for for a lot of us, uh, when you're in paid employment, it'll be a place where you spend a significant chunk of your life. Uh, You do it with colleagues, with uh, people you work alongside, the people you uh, do your work for. Uh, even more than you spend with neighbours or friends and sometimes more than you spend with family. I mean, it's a, it's a big chunk of life. Now, it's critical uh, that we're faithful at work, that we're not slack, that we do our jobs well, and that we support others around us. But in most workplaces, it seems to me that there is a level of social engagement with other people. In the course of the work at break times, uh, social occasions, after work. But you need to have the work of the Lord on your agenda when you're working. You need to actually bring that to bear in a conscious sort of way, otherwise you just get preoccupied with the stuff that you're being paid to do. Uh, I'm a late adapter of technology, some would say Uh, non-adapter of technology but I I do use some of it Uh, and what I've done in recent days is on my phone worked out the fact that uh, you know you can put your diary on your phone you may not you can but uh, I do that now and uh, uh, one of the things I've worked out I can do is I can put a header in my diary to signal something that that's that I want to know for the whole day And it seems to me that that probably for those of us who are in paid employment, what you need to do in your electronic diary is have this header every day that you're working, you know, off to do the work of the Lord, you know, as you head off to work. So you actually have it in your mind that that is the task of vital importance for you as you head out into your day. Friends, it, it is so important uh, that as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the right sort of aspirations. I heard a story about uh, Steve Jobs, you know, the uh, deceased founder of the Apple Corporation. Back in the 1980s, he was trying to get the president of Pepsi-Cola... Uh, John Scully to come and work for him at Apple. And he wasn't having much luck at all in enticing John to come and work with him. And eventually it said that what uh, Jobs said to Scully was this, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water, or do you want a chance to change the world? Now, of course, you and I both know that Apple have never changed anyone's life uh, in any significant way, that that sort of technology is incapable of doing it. Uh, I heard this story about a corporate recruiter who was trying to entice uh, a man into a higher-paying job and wasn't having much luck doing it, a Christian man. And so the recruiter said to this man, trying to push him over the line, said to him, what is your purpose in life? thinking that there would be a clincher for this. And to which this man responded with these words, I want to get to heaven and take as many people with me as I possibly can. You see, he'd understood that his prime purpose in this world was the work of the Lord. And that's what he wanted to occupy his vision. Friends, our, our jobs, our work, mate, they do have a significant place in God's created order. But as with a lot of things in this world, it won't endure. Uh, it won't last. But I do want us to keep remembering that our labour for the Lord at work, at home, in our neighbourhoods, wherever you find yourself every day, your labour for the Lord, that is not in vain. Labour for the Lord is not in vain. Can I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that one of the wonderful things about reading your word is you give us this um, perspective on all of life and eternity. And we know that it's so easy to be preoccupied with the here, the now, whether it be today, or this week, or this month, or this year, and that the, the issues of life come crowding in on us. But as we read your word, you lift us up to the mountaintop so we can get this uh, panoramic view of life and eternity. And, Father, we pray that with that view, you'll help us to understand what does last, what does endure. Father, we thank you that labouring for you and the work of the gospel, uh, wanting to see people become followers of yours, grow in that truth, uh, that that's far from vain. It actually endures for all eternity. Help us to have that clarity And not so we become angular in relationships, but rather so that we have that passionate heart for the people around us to know you, to delight in you, and to trust in you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.